0: Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 408 of the podcast. It's Carrie here, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. You're going to love this conversation, I think, today with John Acuff. He's back on the podcast, and this time I talked to John about reinventing yourself during the crisis. So like a lot of you, you know, John had to completely rethink everything he does when coronavirus hit. Why? Because he's a public speaker. He just gets on an airplane like multiple times a week, flies all over the world, Uh, to speak to leaders, and that stopped. And what did he do? So we get really honest and behind the scenes about that. Plus, how to create better online content. John has a massive social media following, and he's a lot of fun. And we talk about the surprising solution to overthinking. This episode is brought to you by ServeHQ. You can go to servehq.church to sign up for your free 14-day trial. Use the code CARRIE to get 10% off for life and buy our friends at Belay. You can visit belaysolutions.com forward slash C-N-L-P to get Belay's bonus resource, Five Essential Strategies to Unleash Your Productivity. Well, John is a New York Times bestselling author of six books. He's got his most recent book hit number one on the Wall Street Journalist finish And he's got a brand new book out right about now called Soundtracks. He is an Inc. Magazine top 100 leadership speaker. He spoke 50 times a year to audiences around the world with up to 8,000 people at some of his events. And uh, yeah, he is a huge social media presence. So I think you're going to love this conversation with John. I know a lot of you know him. If you don't, you're going to really enjoy it. Thank you to all of you who are new to listening as well. Thanks for sharing this show. Uh, Hit up John on social and me on social and uh, let us know you're listening and what you took away from this episode. And you guys know we have show notes, right? So you can go to kerrynewhoff.com forward slash episode 408 And in there, you also get some free transcripts, everything we talk about in this episode and a whole lot more. So to all of you, whatever you're doing, spring is here. I'm out on my bike again, really enjoying that. So whether you're running, biking, in the yard, cooking, commuting, I don't know. What do you do when you listen to podcasts? Well, whatever you do, really glad to be joining you today. Did you know that ServHQ has helped over 2,000 churches since 2015? And churches of every size have used them to streamline their volunteer onboarding process, run a digital or remote growth track and update their membership and assimilation experiences, and even codify their leadership development flow. Serve helps churches by providing a powerful and simple-to-use online training experience, a new approach to digital messaging, and an automated step-by-step follow-up tool. So imagine having one tool to onboard new volunteers automatically, and get them ready to serve right away. They have a training library with over 800 video modules with quiz questions already present and they're customizable for each one. You can engage your people with videos, GIFs. Do you say GIFs or GIFs? Definitely GIFs, okay? Just so you know. Images, files, and so much more. You can hold real-time chats and a safe, accountable space. Uh, and you can do that for training course discussions, volunteer communication, or staff banter. It is a single, unified tool that your church needs to engage volunteers, members, and leaders. And right now, you can save 10% off for life by using the code CAREY, C-A-R-E-Y, at servehq.church. Learn more and start your 14-day free trial today. And let's talk about productivity, okay, specifically how to maximize it from your team, whether they work from home or in a brick-and-mortar office or both. And increasingly, for a lot of us, it's both. For leaders, it means changing the lens with which you view and even measure your employees' productivity. Like, how do you track that? And for a lot of people, you know, moving into where we're going in the post-pandemic world, the world shows no signs of returning to how things have always been done. So now more than ever, productivity matters. And how do you do it well in a hybrid workforce? The key for you as a leader is to figure that out. Thankfully, our friends at Belay, an incredible organization that has revolutionized productivity with their virtual assistant bookkeeping and social media strategist services, understand this. So they're offering a brand new resource, Essential Strategies to Unleash Your Productivity Today to all of our podcast listeners. If you want to get your free guide, here's what you do. Go to belaysolutions.com forward slash C N L P. That's Belay B-E-L-A-Y solutions.com forward slash C N L P. Well, guys, I am very excited to bring you today's conversation. So why don't we jump into it? Here is John Acuff. John Acuff, welcome back. So good to have you, man. It's been a minute. Well, no, actually, you interviewed me last time. That's what happened.
1: Yeah, that's true. I interviewed you and Tony. So that hasn't been long. I haven't been on your show show in, I think, two or three years at this point.
0: It's been a while, but you weren't blacklisted, so that's good. So you can come back wasn't like when you say it that way, you make it seem like yeah, I haven't been on your show in two or three years. Like, are you sitting around going, I wonder what I did? I wonder what I said.
1: You told me I had to be as strong as Craig Rochelle, And I was like, "That's a weird condition. But I'll start <laughs> doing curls. And that's what I've been working on. Um, and well, eventually I came to a spot where I was like, I'm just going to wear black sweaters and nobody can tell what you look like. It's fine. <laughs>
0: That's sort of my thing, right? Like dark colors really they just kind of hide the body. They're in. the
1: best, they're the best. Like that's that's my jam. Black sweater, black t-shirt. Like it's my <laughs> summer winter outfit. That's it. If I could wear a, and I went to an all-boys Catholic high school and I hated that we had a uniform. And now as an adult I'm like they're amazing. Some people that's their passion, like they're matching pocket squares, like it's not my jam and that's fine.
0: Yeah, it's funny you do you have ended up in that black t-shirt, black sweater thing, haven't you? Was that an intentional decision?
1: It was just, I don't, you know, it's funny that we're, we're talking today about a book about overthinking. I can overthink my wardrobe. Like it's paradox (laughs) of choice. If I have a thousand things to choose from, forget it. If I know like tomorrow I got like three different sweaters and I'm going to pick a sweater and I'm going to wear it like, especially when it's cold. Like I, it takes 14 seconds and I have other stuff that I'm really excited about idea wise that I'd rather give all my creativity to. So it's more of a like, I have a limited amount of creative space in my head and I want to give it to the stuff that's really getting me fired up.
0: Do you eat the same thing for breakfast every day?
1: Pretty much. I run yeah, the same too. I run the same loop. Like I don't there's my friends who are like, let's go d- drive somewhere to jog some new trail. I'm like, nah, like
0: that's weird. Okay. I do the same thing with cycling where my friends are like, why do why do you always do the same route? It's like, cause I don't have to think about it. And then I just get out. Turn
1: it Like I use running to turn my brain off. Some people use exercise to turn their brain on and the difference. And I actually think this is a metaphor for the year we had last year. When you trail run, you have to think about every step. You can't tune right. out. Every step is thoughtful. True. Last year was trail running. A lot of us had some road running years where like we knew roughly what was going to happen. 2020 was trail running. 2021 is trail running. That's part of why people are so exhausted. And so, yeah, for me, I like road running because I know, okay, if I need to work out a problem or a thought or a book chapter, I know this route, I can go and I'm good.
0: You know, that's the same thing. It's interesting because I used to mountain bike. I still got it hanging in my garage, but I'm like, do you know how much focus mountain biking takes? Like, oh, yeah. Oh, like the
1: mountain is trying to kill you. Like it is yes. actively involved in your death and you have to go, whoa, whoa, whoa. You almost got me. That drop off I almost got like, oh, that single track rock path almost got me. So, yeah, I, I like to tune out on certain activities because I'm so tuned in on other ones.
0: Yeah. OK, well, that that's a really good pro tip right there. So try, try eating the same thing for breakfast, if, if that's your thing, or wearing similar or the same clothing. Really, to me, it's decision fatigue. It's one less decision I need to make. So speaking of the craziness of the last 12, 14 months, um, I want to start here. We're going to get to your new book. I I think it's fascinating. I have read it. It is just, I so admire your craft and what you do with your craft. But your world, like everybody else, has got turned upside down. You went from speaking 50-ish times a year, mostly to companies, occasionally to church or conference audiences. And all of a sudden you're grounded and you and I connect all the time. Like we talk, we talk all the time. So I kind of walked through that year with you. You walked through it with me, but I would love for you to just talk about publicly. Like, what was that like for you? Because we all thought it was going to be a couple months, right? I remember we're like, okay, in August, we're back on the road, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You and I talked in March, um, Mm. kind of in the middle, like when it was first starting and like, we were kind of in the active, like events are starting to cancel. And we're like, yeah, but we got some coming up. I mean, I sent a friend a text on March 15th that said, I think the first half of the year is going to be challenging. Like, cause I really thought by July, this, this will be a wrap. Like we'll be all, and then it just kept changing, kept changing, kept changing. So I went through phases like everybody else did where it was March and April were pretty disappointing. I felt pretty stuck. I felt like I was spinning. I didn't know what to do. Um, I had, you know, it's funny when I'm stressed out, I stop doing the things that relieve stress. Like that's one of the natural things that happens. Like, you know, the five things and you go, I feel really stressed. I should stop doing those things. You go, how is that? Or like, I always tell people like isolation is a snake that eats its own tail because people go, I feel really lonely. I should sit at home alone and figure out why versus going out to get community. Like isolation feeds on itself. And so I had some months of that, but then it was like, I kind of came to a place the way I said it was like, I can pine or I can plan. Like I can pine the old way. Oh, I used to have all these, like this is what life used to be shaped as, or I can plan the new way. So I can go, hey, Carrie, I'm thinking about doing a podcast. Like, can you give me a couple of tips? Hey, you know, Chris Zimmerman, I'm going to do a YouTube channel. Hey, I'm going to do, you know, Speakers Bureau. Can I do virtual events from your studio? Like, so I started to kind of rebuild some stuff. Um, And then it got exciting because, I wrote a book about overthinking and then the entire world collectively overthought. And so like prior to this year it was an epidemic. Now I don't what I don't know what's beyond epidemic, but like we all overthought this year and so I was really like wow, this is an interesting time to start to release a book about this topic because of what we're in the middle of. Like I think it's at an all-time high overthinking. We're all stuck at home, we're guzzling, like negative news. Like, I think it's a really good time to go, wait a second. It doesn't, you don't have to do that. It doesn't have to be this way. What if we, what if we learn to control our thoughts? And so I try, I started to kind of shift towards that.
0: You took, was it a month or six weeks off last summer? Remember you, you headed off with the family. Do you want to talk about, was that pre-planned? Like,
1: you just. No, not at all, dude. Like everything got canceled. So my oldest daughter was supposed to march in the parade at Disney with her high school band. So like, That was one that bummed me out. Like my trips, that get canceled. I'm a grown adult. Like I go, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's a bummer. I I would like to do that. We had an anniversary trip to Italy that we were like, we'll
0: move it. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, you guys, you and Jenny. And was it a big one? Was it 20 for you guys or?
1: 20 this year. And we were going last year because that's when it fell. And we were like, we'll move it to March 2021, which that's not happening. So (laughs) like, but as an adult, you can handle that. I felt more, you know, sad for my kids and the stuff they got canceled. So we have um Jenny's parents live in Blowing Rock, North Carolina in the mountains, and they have a mm. cottage. They have two places and they have this little cottage. And Jenny was like, Well, let's go up there for spring break. And she and Jenny said, Jenny um is super, super smart and was like, Hey, I think this is gonna last 18 months. And I was like, You mean 18 minutes? And she was like, No, <laughs> I think you should pack more than you think. And we all, me and my two kids are like, We don't need to pack much. Jenny was the only one who packed enough clothes. We get to the mountains to stay a week and we end up staying five and a half. And yeah. then we end up going to, you know, going oh, not going back to the mountains for two and a half. So I think all told, we spent like ten weeks, you know, at, in, in this mountain house, kind of working on okay, what are we going to do? How do? We, and fortunately for me, somebody told me the phrase Zoom class, like where you're part of the class that can actually work from home. And knowing that you shouldn't condescend to people who can't, and so it hmm. gave us a sense of like, okay, we can figure out how to do some of this from home. I mean, I can't do. Like live events are different, obviously, but fortunately I had some space where I could do some stuff from home and kind of reinvent my career to some degree. And so that's what we worked on.
0: So let's talk about reinventing your career because you launched a bunch of new stuff in the last, like, you know, you didn't have any immediate pressure, but obviously you don't want to sit there wondering... I wonder when I can get back on a plane again, right? Which is still wobbly. I don't know by the time this airs, but you know, it's still wobbly when we're recording it. So let's let's talk about YouTube. You were you on YouTube prior to last no, summer?
1: I had a page. Okay. So here's the thing I tell people: ask yourself what would have made this season easier, and then go build that thing. So mm, it's a really powerful good. question because and you don't feel shame that you don't have the thing already. That's useless. Right. Say, okay, what would have made the season easier? So in, in March or April of 2020, uh, 2020, I was like, what would have made the season easier? You know, if I had a really robust YouTube channel where I could communicate with clients, where I had another revenue stream, like that would make it this easier. So guess what, a year from now, I'm going to have that. And I think that's right. a huge question that we can ask. So it's the same of podcasts. It's the same of writing a book. It's the same of a side hustle. You go, okay, right now I'm in this stressful situation. What's the thing I could build that would make this easier? And then you go build that. So that's what I do with YouTube. I had a YouTube channel. Like I put my flag in the ground, so to speak. Yeah. But I had, you know, like 1100 subscribers um, and hadn't made a video in like four or five years. And so I was like, you know what? I think it might be time to admit people online like these moving pictures. Like I was, I think one of the, and I'm going to write about this at some point. One of the hardest things about learning something new is the perceived shame that you don't already know it. And so Mm -hmm. like, you're afraid to ask the questions, the stupid questions. So I think it's really valuable to get into a community where you can say, I don't know this thing that it seems like everybody else knows, can you help me? Like when you bump into somebody where like, if you're a podcast person, you're gonna start a podcast and you get some sarcastic person you go, hey, I don't understand what what Apple reviews are. are. I don't under, and they shame you, forget it. You're gonna Mm -hmm. shut down the learning. You need Mm -hmm. people around you that when you go, I don't even know how to upload my thumbnail. They're like, oh, no problem. I didn't know either when I started. Let me show you. And so I think you have to find people like that. And you have to be willing to kind of go do the new stuff um, and be an amateur, as it were.
0: John, I'm so glad you raised that about YouTube, because you you got me thinking like uh, a couple of years ago when you're starting over again solo. Um I remember we talked about email lists and you're like, I never took my email list very seriously. And I said, I didn't want it. And then you kind of had to start from scratch again. Speak into that space. Cause there's a lot of people, we're going to talk about podcasting and your new book and everything, but there's a lot of people who are like, you know what? The podcasting ship sailed a long time ago. I kind of missed that boat. I haven't, I yeah, I'm not on YouTube now either. So if I was you, John, I would have gone last summer, but I didn't go last summer. So I can't go now. And I never built an email list. and I know I have to do it. Cause you, you do that. You're just like, okay, I'm not in this space when I should be, but now I'm going to go in the space. So what talk about that?
1: Process. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I admit it's frustrating. Like it's frustrating to me that I had a, I had a blog in 2001 and then I took eight, like seven years off. Like what could I have done in that seven years? But there's no, there's no good that comes out of kind of trying to relive or change those seven years. Like it just, I get stuck. Um, and you know it's it's kind of like saying I would love to go to Mars, but like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos are already kind of interested in Mars, so like Mars is already full. Like <laughs> there's not too many podcasts, there's not too many books. Um, so I just have to like the humbling thing for me is if you've if you've got some like if you've established one part of your life, you then have to go be in an amateur in another, and you forgot what that's like. Like I keep telling people, one of my mottos is be a tourist, because. Mm. You need a new mindset to do something new. And a tourist, they go to a city and they ask lots of questions. They're not embarrassed. When I meet a tourist in downtown Nashville, they don't go, I feel terrible, but I don't know where the hotel is. They go, hey, do you know where that bar is? I go, yeah, yeah, it's right over there. Um, They ask lots of questions. They don't pretend to be experts. You don't get to learn if you're busy pretending. And so like, I have to constantly remind myself of that because, yeah, I'd rather look like an expert. I like knowing what to do. I love being on stage and knowing, Here's the mark I'm going to hit. Here's the joke I'm going to tell. Here's this thing I'm going to flip. That's fun to me, but I get really stagnant. And I've got this idea that I'm playing around with where like, if you gain, say you gain, you know, a pound is what? 12 ounces. Isn't that a pound?
0: Mm-hmm. 16, 12. Tony knows all that stuff and she's not here
1: right now. So I think that's right. Um, so if a pound is 16 ounces and you Close. gain, is it 16? I think 16. it's 16. the metric system.
0: Yeah, we are, but we do so Canadian. And I have to have a bone to pick with you at the end of the show. Okay. Canadian. All right. You know where it's coming. Yeah. Um, But yeah.
1: Let's say you gain half a pound a month. Got it. You barely notice it. You barely notice it. So you do that for a year, you gain six pounds, but you do that for 10 years, you gain 60 pounds. And that's where you wake up and go, oh my gosh, the same exact thing happens in every other facet of life. So hmm. you take six ounces or half a pound off of technology, you go, you know what, I'm not going to do that thing. I'm not going to do that thing. I'm not going to do that thing. You wake up 10 years in and you have 60 pounds of t- like technological irrelevance. So you don't know how to use all the platforms. You don't know how to do all this stuff. And it's hard to jump back into it in the same way that if you're hundred pounds, 200 pounds overweight, it's harder to run. Like there's, there, there's a, there's a bigger challenge. And so, for me, I have to remind myself it's okay that it's a challenge. It's okay that I don't know YouTube. I can't compare myself to the person that has 10 million people. Like, they're probably not amazing at writing books. And then the Mm -hmm. other thing you do is you realize you have certain strengths and you try to make the medium obey those strengths or you try to kind of figure out, okay, where, you know, which things work for me. I'm not a great visual storyteller. I'm just not. It's not my gift. It's not my craft. It's not what I do. Carlos Whitaker amazing visual storyteller. He thinks in moving pictures. I don't think that way. I write books. I'm really good at writing books. And that's what I feel comfortable with. That's what I love to do. Can I figure out how to make YouTube kind of fit my strengths? I think I can. Will I quit YouTube if I think that I have to be as good a storyteller as Carlos or as good a community guy as Mr. Beast or whatever it is? I will. So you have to kind of figure out where's my spot in this, Where's the things I can grow, but where's the things that I just need to admit that I'm never going to be the guy that's like, I want a drone, I want four cameras, like that amount of technology overwhelms and cripples my creativity. It unleashes other people. For me, it's a crippler. I don't need to do it.
0: Well, there's two things there I just want to pull out. Number one, you know, as a guy in your 40s, you're you're always reinventing, right? So you have older leaders or people who are not 22 going. Yeah. Okay. Good. If John can reinvent, I can reinvent. That's a good thing. Second thing.
1: It's It's very gray.
0: (laughs) But the other thing is, if you are a young leader, it's like things are going to keep changing on you. Right now you have the digital native technology advantage because you grew up with it. It's ubiquitous. You know how to use it. Uh, But that's going to change because the kids are going to come along and they're going to learn some new stuff. What I got to ask you, because way more listeners are online now than were 12 months ago at this point. What have you learned on YouTube? Like, what is what is the value of YouTube for you? And what is it accomplishing for the people that you want to serve or reach?
1: Um, well, it's a completely different audience. So, like, yeah. you, can see, you can see that where it's humbling for me because I have 300,000 Twitter followers. I'll tweet a link to a video and it'll get 40 views. Like, I don't care who you are. That is a punch in the stomach. Like, that's just... I mean, if you were a baseball player and you hit the ball 40 times for every 300,000 at bats, like they wouldn't bring you back. So, but it's a different audience. It's a completely different planet. They want completely different things. So I like it that it lets me flex my creative muscle. I like it that it forces me to, to learn a new medium. I like it that it gives me a chance to practice an idea, like to get an idea out there and to shape it and to change it. Um, And I just, there's so many people that are like, oh, I've kind of been waiting over at YouTube for you to dip your toe in. I couldn't convince them to go to Twitter. I couldn't convince them to go to Instagram. That's their spot. So like one of my big words for the year is serve. So if I'm going to serve people, I have to say, it's not like it's this obscure platform either. It's not like you're right. It's not like right now you're like, John, you're really big on like, bulgarian hologram technology i'm like i am i there's a guy that has a castle in bulgaria and we have a server and i'm ahead of it like dude it's youtube it's almost like you're telling me like john you're really big on the telephone i'm like i am carrie you know (laughs) like you call up the operator you get right through to somebody so so like hopefully every leader who's listening to this and feels like it's too late dude i'm talking about my new youtube channel and it is 2021 like jump in. It's not too late. If it's not too late for me, it's not too late for you.
0: Uh, That's good news. What got you the most traction out of the gate? Was it your email list? Was it Instagram? Or how did you... Because you've you've got a decent following now on YouTube. So what were your momentum sparks on that one?
1: I mean, email list, definitely. When I would email out, hey, here's a... Now, what I had to be careful about was not just doing emails for every video because that's not what people signed up to my email list for. That's the other thing is that when you start something new, you have to figure out, do I bring a new channel to do it? Do I introduce it slowly? Like the reason I retired Stuff Christians Like was I wasn't gonna jam leadership ideas onto that site because that wasn't the relationship I had established with people. And Mm -hmm. so you have to be careful there. And then for me, recognizing moments and then creating content around the moment. So like one of my bigger videos, which again, is not massive, but for me it was, was about Zoom. Like, hey, here's Mm -hmm. Zoom habits that are terrible. And it was of a moment, in a moment, um and i felt like that one did well because everybody was zooming um yeah and then another one was like just being honest so i said here's how much i made on my first book like here's
0: That oh, wasn't it. Uh, yeah and you had your 77 cent youtube revenue check i remember uh, that yeah, one yeah,
1: yeah well i had a that was fun like yeah how much <laughs> i made on youtube so like i like to share i i realized that like i can i can get really isolated from the people i'm trying to serve when i try to think of what it should be to be an author or a leader or an influencer. And I start playing a role and that's a constant never ending temptation for me. So I have to find ways to continually break the fourth wall and go, yeah, here's this thing that was really hard. Like, here's this thing I messed up. Here's this. And if I, and I enjoy that once I do it, Mm. but like, if I don't do it, my persona kind of calcifies and I end up playing a role and it's fake. And my wife is like, ugh, that content was fake. And like, it just doesn't, it doesn't go well.
0: Um, so podcasting is also new for you. You got a brand new podcast that just came out and it was your second iteration into podcasting too, right? So do you want to unpack yeah, that a little bit? Like
1: two and a half years off between episodes, just to kind of really, <laughs> you know, think it out. I had a big, uh, episode coming. Yeah, dude, I did. Yeah. I mean, let's, let's break the fourth wall. My first eight episodes were super lazy because I went in with ego and was like, I'm John Acuff, I don't have to put work into this. I got, I got an email list, I got Instagram, like I'm John Acuff. So I didn't work at it. Like I just phoned it in and hoped that my, you know, my audience, my influence, whatever would carry the day and that's garbage. And so like mm. this one, I was like, I got to put hours to it. I got to write questions. I got to write scripts. I got to hire people. I got to work with sponsors. Like I'm going to do all the work that goes behind the thing to make the thing good versus just thinking, you know, my ego can, I can just kind of coast. And so that's, that to me on the back end is the main difference. Um, And then on the front end, the main difference is I said, it's going to be about goals. Like I'm a Mm. goal nerd. It's what I care about. It's what I talk about. It's what I do in my own life. So the podcast is all it takes is a goal. Because I really believe in the power of goals and that's what I want to help people with, versus going, it's everything, it's some of this, it's some of that. And no, like a lot of times when you won't do the work of figuring out what you're doing, it's like it's like your Walmart if the shelves changed every day. Like people would hate Walmart if every time they came in, the shelves are different, or every time you went to mm-hmm. Target, they're like, eh, we just completely mixed it up. You'd be like, but I don't know what I'm getting, and you haven't set an expectation. Now for me. I would say to all your leaders listening, that doesn't mean you have to be hyper, hyper niche. There's this whole mentality of like, you got to find that you collect New Zealand stamps um, like (laughs) from the 1940s and then do your podcast on that only. You only got to serve the New Zealand stamp population of 1940. And like, you got to do that. Like, that's not how I'm wired. I Mm. like a lot of different things. So my approach is find a big umbrella goals and write under that, like, and talk to that and be consistent with that. You have to constantly say, how does, this, how does this honor the topic? How does this honor the topic? Like you have to keep pulling it back to that. But at the same time, you can't limit yourself creatively on the front end and go, I got to find like my razor thin niche and just hope that I have enough passion to sustain it over a year, over two years, over three years. Like.
0: Mm. Uh, I want to ask you one more question about podcasting. I just want to say publicly, and you've heard this, and I've told so many people this privately, you gave me the best single piece of advice I think I've ever had on podcasting in six years of podcasting, which was, you know, when the show started to take off, I think you and I were backstage somewhere, And I'm like, John, I'm getting pitched. Like, you know, publishers are sending me books. People now want to be on. At the beginning, you're begging, you know, your cat to be on, all that stuff.
1: You're like, tell me, episode four of you coming on. Let's do another one. Yeah, yeah,
0: you can do another one. You're right. (laughs) And 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 I remember you saying to me, it's like, yeah, it's your show, do what you want. Like, what interests you? And I have used that as a filter. And so it's this really strange, eclectic mix of guests, uh, but I'm interested in every episode. And and,
1: came from, I got mm -mm. credit, Brian Koppelman from the podcast. He said, I asked him about how he picks his guests. And he's like, one time I made a mistake. I let somebody pressure me into having a guest on a publisher or whatever that I didn't really care about. So he said, now I only interview people that I'm... You know, deeply, honestly interested in, and I think that comes through uh, in the interviews. And so, yeah, I, you know, I was passing on that info. Um, but I well, thank
0: you, Brian Koppelman and John Acuff.
1: Turn people down, like I've only have a couple episodes, but I've been asked a couple times, and I don't like doing it. I hate telling people no, but like I don't, also don't want to be like, this is my friend. They've got a new book about cats. Here's their cat <laughs> book, and like I don't know how that relates to goals, but cats, you know, like, ugh. And you can tell when somebody's doing that. It's not as fun
0: hmm And it is hard because you disappoint people. You disappoint a lot of people in the process and it's that never gets easy.
1: You're only going to, like, I think about that a lot. You're mm. only going to disappoint more people the more successful you are. So, like, if your plan is, if your goal is to disappoint less people, don't ever create anything. Don't ever build anything. Don't ever grow anything. Don't ever get a platform. Like, it's part of the price of admission. Like the more successful you get at sharing an idea, the more chances you have to disappoint people. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, that's just like more people know about you. If only 10 people know about you, only one's going to ask you to do something. If a hundred people know about you, statistically 10 are going to ask you and you have to figure out, okay, how do I say no to this? How do I, you know, how do I be kind, but at the same time at boundaries?
0: So speaking of Koppelman, his friendship and interviews with Seth Godin are some of my favorite. I mean, those two those co- two go deep. And so your podcast is brand new. I haven't listened to Head because you've released one episode in the preview. But it feels like you've gone almost like a Seth Godin format, right? Where it seems a little bit scripted, well-produced. Scripted, not in a stilted way, but just like Seth is like calorie-dense like I love Akimbo he is so good at what he does and he's been on the show uh as well so we'll we'll link to that episode but tell me about the format you chose and why you picked it why that format cuz now you got social you got your blog you've got your email list you got YouTube and everyone's into content these days so I'm just picking this apart Why'd
1: yeah so that? i mean i looked at what i feel good at i don't i'm not a great interviewer and i think i'll get better like i'm going to I think the format's going to be three or four episodes where it's a 15 to 20 minute of me kind of riffing and then every, and then like an interview that I feel like is interesting. So I interviewed this woman, Colleen Berry, um, for an episode that's coming up in a couple of weeks. And she's in my new book, Soundtracks, because she, and she's in the first chapter, she was a receptionist at a real estate company. She Mm. lost her job. She could have really easily gotten stuck in resentment. And instead she changed her mindset and now she's the CEO. So I wanted to talk to her because I had interviewed her for the book and I was like, oh, if I ever have a podcast. So that interview was amazing because I, we kind of got to go back and forth on what are you doing? Like one of my favorite things she said was she said the, mo- the best productivity app that's ever been designed is the timer on your phone. And I 100 percent agree hmm. Like to set the timer, do the thing for half an hour, clear everything else. Like I loved how she said that. And so that's the format. So I really, I think where I'll end up because you know how it is that that's the challenges you have to do. Like you do your best, but you know, you're not going to love the first episodes as much as a year from now or two years from now. That's just part of growth. Like it's, it's like your first sermon isn't great. It shouldn't be like, you don't want to peak, like you hopefully will get better. Um, but I think the first couple episodes, I wrote out a script. I kind of follow, I follow it. Um, really thought through the idea. And now, what I'm realizing is the best way to do it is I recorded one today. I write out an idea, but I leave space for new stuff to happen, which is mm. the same way I do a speech. My favorite parts of a speech are I know it 90%, and that 10% that happens in the moment is magic for me and the audience. And so, I want to have my podcast be like that, where I know, okay, I'm going to teach you this thing. Like, t- I'm going to teach you how to grade the year on a curve because. That's important. Okay. So, how do we do that? And then I'm going to leave space for new ideas to bubble up because that's how I like to think. I like to think quick and go, Oh, this idea that Carrie said is related to this other idea. And here's something I heard Reggie said. And here's something my wife said. Um, You know, I put that in the book. My favorite definition of creativity is Dorothy Parker, who said, A wild creativity is a wild mind and a disciplined eye. And I love that because if I'll feed myself the wildness, I can have the discipline of my eye to connect things that aren't connected. And if I won't, over script the podcast, new stuff can happen in the moment. I think listeners can tell and go, oh yeah, like he, he forgot he knew that story and he just added it in and it fit. Like that's really fun. Okay. You know, I, I want to listen to more of that. That's how I'm thinking about it.
0: One of the things I really admire about you and you and I've talked about that is just how hard you work at your craft. Um, Because we spent so much time together, you know, I see you practicing, I see you you know, rehearsing a line. Sometimes I'll see 10 iterations of a talk or a riff or a bit. Um, and and yet you're always reinventing yourself. And I think for a lot of leaders, most of the leaders listening to this show are creating content of some kind. Um, some in the church world, some in the business world, some in the online marketing world, et cetera, et cetera. Can you talk about that? Because like, when I hear you describing your podcast, I'm like, oh, you follow Koppelman's advice. It's like you're doing something you're actually interested in. You're, you're like, oh yeah, I'm, you know, she's not a well-known artist. Nobody would know her name, but she's going to be one of my first guests because she just has a fascinating story and I'm interested in it. And she was in my book and it kind of shows up. Uh, and so you're always reinventing. And yet the stuff that you own, you're always polishing. Is is there a tension in that? I don't know what the question is, John, but do you see like like it's a, it's a fun it's a fun combo, dude?
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, I think that's I kind of I heard somebody say once. Um, it's funny. Like this is the wild mind. We went to Vietnam. Um, the readers of my blog had had raised money to build two kindergartens in Vietnam, which was crazy. And we went there, and this guy that was on the trip with us was like, Vietnam is kind of like an accordion, in that like. The communism expands and then it constricts and the country has this cons- and so i love like not from a political standpoint i love that idea of an accordion and so for mm. me it's like i expand an idea and then i constrict it like i'm trying to concentrate it so i just oh, did wow. like the finish course the first time i did a finished course it was 30 ideas 30 lessons 30 lessons and it was too much and so i concentrated it down to six and so i like to take the idea and then I'm workshopping it. I'm, I'm workshopping and going like this is better. This is funny. This is interesting. But a lot of that starts with what I call four-year ideas, where an idea that I'm so excited that if you came to my house, I wouldn't let you get past the front door before I told you. And my wife's like, whoa, hmm. whoa let them take their coat off. I'm like, no, you got to hear this thing. So, like, and then I'll collect them and I'll riff on them and I'll touch them multiple times. So, like, a four-year idea for me right now, uh, an, en- an engineer that I meet with every other week um, named William, good friend of mine was telling me that one of the engineers that reports to him was at Georgia Tech and they had a contest. And the professor said, you have to sort these marbles as fast as you can, different sizes, different colors, whatever, using gravity as the power. So a top bottom kind of thing with these pieces. So like everybody built these complicated shoots and there was all this scoring system. And this one dude walked in with a tube and like a plate that went inside the tube. So a horizontal kind of plate. And when the professor started the timer, he dumped all his marbles in the top, removed the plate. They all fell down in 0.01 second. And he won the contest because he realized the greatest score maximizer was speed. The rest of the stuff didn't matter. And everybody was kind of frustrated, but like, I'll remember that idea and I'll capture it and go, if I ever need an illustration of, do you know the rubric? Like, have you even checked what you're scored on? Because I guarantee there's leaders right now that are doing 10 things and there's two that actually serve people. And there's two that people actually care about and they Mm -hmm. feel stressed. And if they retired the eight and said, oh man, like people care more about how I interact with them in the lobby than that. I have a perfect phrase in my speech. So why don't I put some more time into my lobby versus I got to find some amazing illustration and and look like a certain type of person on stage. And so I'll collect that and then I'll figure out a spot for it and then I'll shape it. And then if I start to get feedback or somebody goes, Another example, I was telling um, a story about, um, I read an article in the New York Times that asked why didn't Kodak create Instagram? Nick Mm. Bilton wrote this article and they asked why didn't Polaroid? And the whole point of the article is because in their culture, a corporate culture like that, no one could walk in and go, hey, I got this crazy idea because they already had success. And so then I go, I'm going to add to that. There's a great danger when you move from innovation mode to protection mode. Oh, that's like innovation to protection. That's the thing that happens. You start to protect the thing that's already been built. I tell that story on stage, a woman comes up to me and goes, Hey, I did my thesis um, in college on how Kodak failed that way. Do you know what they invested in during the digital revolution? I'm like, I don't. She said paper quality. So at a time where people were saying, we're going to spend less money, we're going to do less photos printed out. They're like, what if the paper is really expensive though? And so I'm kind of like, those are magnet ideas that I'm gathering other pieces on and I'm kind of using them and changing them. And yeah, that to me is where the, the craft part is.
0: You see, okay. You know what? You know what I think is underneath this, which I think is so fascinating. A lot of us were, and, and the disruption last year really threw this into the spotlight. We all had our rhythms, right? So you're a public speaker. You get paid good money, and like when you go to Microsoft or you go to Boeing or where you ever you happen to be speaking at Dell, you you better deliver, dude. You're not experimenting on stage. Okay. Maybe, maybe you get 5% experiment. Maybe you get 5% experiment, maybe 2% experiment, but you're not experimenting on stage. Your whole model, I'm glad we chased this down. This is probably worth the price of admission. So your whole model gets blown up. You can't do it. But I think what's, what's fascinating for a lot of us who produce content is we are so used to doing all the prep in the background, work, 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 polish, polish, polish present publicly. So you're doing the talk, you're doing the vision night, you're doing the fundraising pitch, you're doing the sermon, you're doing uh, the book or whatever. And I think what's true about the internet is, no, you're experimenting in real time. So first iteration of the podcast failed. All right, notice that, or you didn't like it. So now we're coming back. Uh, Didn't like the way I did the finished course the first time not all is lost. It's not like courses are bad and the finished course is bad. It's like, no, I'll make it better. And I wonder if that's the new paradigm where we're all experimenting. You know, the, the staff, the, the joke I have with my staff is the internet doesn't lie. And I keep working on stuff that I think is brilliant and the internet is like, nope. <laughs> and then sometimes I riff something off and the internet's like, yay, upvote, upvote, upvote. And you learn from that and then you move on, you do your next product. There's something to that, isn't there? I like something. I mean, in the moment we're in.
1: That reminds me of uh, Tim Ferriss interviewing Seinfeld. I don't know if you heard that oh, recently. That's
0: a great interview.
1: It's amazing. But remember, he says, Tim <sighs> Ferriss says to him, once you get off stage, do you get feedback from other comedians? And he says, why? He said, I already got the feedback I needed, the audience. That's the only yeah. feedback that matters. Like he doesn't work. Sh- so like, it's the same thing where that's why... I will workshop things where I'll do an Instagram live. It'll be three minutes and I'll be like, hey, here's an idea. And then that idea, I'll go sh- like new stuff will happen. I'll go shape that into a YouTube video. And then if that goes really well, guess what? I'm gonna bring that into a speech. And if that goes really well, but guess what? I'm gonna bring that into a book. So that's where it's an idea funnel where there's and nobody like if you're on Instagram live and you're like, oh, I didn't like that, it wasn't worth the money, like full refund. It costs you zero dollars. Like <laughs> I'm not. But like if I, if I see people go, oh, that phrase or that idea or I, if I feel it was the right phrase, then I'll change it and then I'll add it to YouTube and then I'll actually write it and then it'll become a podcast. Like I recorded a podcast episode today that started um, as an email and a YouTube video. And I was like, oh, hmm. man, there's something here that I'm, I'm curious about. So, yeah, I think I think that's the one of the, the lies you have to get over is that if you like the minute an idea is out, it's old. That's not true. Like the minute an idea is out, it's beginning like, and it's entered the phase of iteration and change and growth and evolution. And that's a hard one for me because I'm a new idea guy. I love new ideas. It's not easy for me to go kind of shape and hone, but when I do, they're so much better. They are Mm -hmm. so much better. Like I know, like I'm looking at my, um, I'm looking at the kind of the windows that I stare out every day and I've got an idea right here. Let's see. I'll pull it off. It says, uh, it's from eight twenty-seven. It says, ask for more. So I know that I'm going to sit with that because I realize when I'm negotiating, when I'm doing things like ask for more, like there's always more, like I've never had somebody respond to me. You're so greedy. I can't believe you asked for like, but that's the fear. So I have to be reminded to do that. So probably what I'm going to do, I got this idea where I want to, I have one of those signs where you can put letter, like a letter board sign on. I'm going to do stand out in my backyard, holding that up. John Cusack, say anything style and have my wife take a photo. And that'll be an Instagram post because then I'll get to write. What are the things you wish you could remind yourself about yourself? And like, that's mm. a cool concept and I haven't done it yet, but it's in the funnel and I know it's coming and I'm going to do it at some point. And so like, I'm like my, one of my favorite things, um, Al Andrews, who's you should hundred percent have on your podcast. He's
0: okay. Noted.
1: Um, Al Andrews said to me, and he, his background, he's a counselor. He was in Nashville forever and realized most of his uh, therapists, or most of his patients were musicians and they couldn't afford it. So he went to every major label in town and said, You're spending millions of dollars to blow up these people and then their lives fall apart. Let me be a safe place for them to protect their heart. And so now he's got, and they all sponsored him Sony, Christian, secular labels. Sony, one day he was like, John, is it ever hard for you to have an idea and not share it immediately? And I was like, yeah, it's like, which platform? And he was like, well, right now you've got a keg party lifestyle with your ideas. People are just coming in and getting content, content, content. He said, you need some wine ideas. You need some ideas you take and put on a shelf behind you for a year, for two years that you only talk about with friends so that they can actually turn into something that's magical and meaningful. And so that idea of wine ideas of knowing, yes, some ideas I get them right out. But some ideas I go, okay, I'm going to put that on a shelf. I'm going to add a bunch of ideas. I'm going to let it grow. I'm going to let it age in a way. And then when I do it, it's going to be awesome. But I'm going to give it time to kind of turn into the idea it needs to be.
0: How do you collect and keep those ideas? Just real practical question.
1: Yeah. So right now what I'm doing is I'm doing 90 days of bullet journal. So I've mm. never really done bullet journaling. Um When people hear that, they if they know what that is, they think of like the most complicated ornate version you see on Pinterest or Instagram where like you're using felt tip pens from Japan and like you're doing rainbow, like forget it, dude. Mine is I use a blue pen and I write stuff down. So right now I have a couple pages that I write ideas on because the problem is I have probably... 20,000 ideas right back there in notebooks that are gone forever. They might as well be gone forever because I'll never- Because
0: you're not going to go back. It's like, oh yeah, August, 2014. Yeah.
1: So now Mm -hmm. I collect them and now I'm figuring out a process to actually touch them again to say, where does this go? And then the other thing here's, so like I have two pages, like I have pages right now that I'm like, okay, these are my pages of ideas. One of the ideas that actually kind of summarizes the way I'm thinking about ideas says this. How many acorns become full-blown trees? That's what happens to most ideas, figure out the math. So one day I'm walking down the street, I'm seeing thousands and thousands and thousands of acorns. They're not all going to become 40-foot oak trees and that's not failure. So what if I was able to say, yeah, I'm going to collect more than I use. That's not like, it's not a one-to-one. Like, can you imagine like if I had to produce every idea, like, man, the pressure. So I'm going to do an idea, probably an article, maybe a podcast where I'm like, no, like 1% become trees. So what if let's double it. Let's get you to 2% ideas shipped. Two, as Seth Godin would say, 2% produced because they're not all supposed to be produced. And that's, that's not failure. And so sometimes when people say, I've got to come up with an idea system, they think the system is going to produce every idea they do. It's not supposed to. You're supposed to have a couple ideas that you add some other cool ideas to. And you, you know I do a book every two years. I do a couple speeches a year. I, I do some inst- Instagram. I do some YouTube, but I have way more ideas than I'll ever published. And what I've learned is like, same with my to-do list. Whenever I feel failure about my to-do list, I tell myself, that's not failure. That just means my imagination is bigger than my calendar. And, hmm. and that's dope. That is a dope, that is dope statement. Yeah. And so my imagination will always crush, like crush space and time. My hmm. imagination is always bigger than 20, 24 hours. That's a joke. Like my imagination and what I can create in 24 hours, way bigger than what I can execute in 24 hours. That's not failure. That's a gift. And I accept that gift and I'm going to make the most of it. It almost
0: feels to me, and tell me if I got this wrong, uh, because I'm, I'm working on some new content that I want to release later this year about the new content creation cycle, because I was in that mode for a long time. You go do your homework, you study, maybe you bounce it off a team, and then you go and deliver the talk. All right. That's what you do but it almost feels like you got multiple canvases to paint on. You've got Twitter, you've got Instagram, you've got YouTube, you got your podcast now. And then also like, I'm going to go experiment over there and let's see what happens. Oh, nothing. Okay. All right. Well, let's try it over on Instagram. It's like nah, nothing. Put it on Twitter, 2000 likes. It's like, whoa, what did I change? What did I do? Is that like, it's almost like a canvas you can paint on. Like, you 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 know, you plant a whole lot of oaks and see which ones grow up.
1: A hundred percent, and for me, like I know. Okay, so, like I asked yesterday, essentially, is it ever hard for you to not just be hot or cold with ideas or hot or cold Mm. with goals? Like you're all in or you're all out. And so, like, 250 people respond. 92% say they're all in, and some of them share gifts. Some of them share ideas. Cool. So now, when I go and write about that, I can say I asked people, and 300 people said this. So now, like, I've got a community example. Same with like the way I write books is now. I'll do a, a big challenge in September that's free and I'll have 5,000 people try it and I'll share the ideas and they'll tell me which ones work and which ones don't. And I'll get real examples so that when I write a book, I have those examples and I can say, Ooh. here's how somebody did it. I mean, you read soundtracks. It's full of real people. Going, oh, it's, it's oh, so I well done. This. And that's where it's from. And so, yeah, I kind of look at it that way. Um, we're like, and then the other thing is I go, you can experiment on Instagram and Twitter because it goes away. Like you could do an Instagram live and like it goes away. YouTube's a different thing. So I kind of understand. I'm not going to do a ton of experimenting on YouTube because it's going to be a video that's there. I'm going to do some that might turn into something bigger. Like it might turn into a book. It might turn into a speech. But I, I know that like on Twitter, on Instagram live, like something, you know, I can figure it out. And then I'm an audio processor. So it's easy for me to go, oh, hey, here's an idea that shows up. Like I like I like talking my way into a situation it's fun, which is why I don't want my podcast to be super scripted because I'll miss the fun examples that my brain goes, what about this? What about this? Um, and so, yeah, but I see it as it's not super linear. It's definitely more, let me try this idea here. Let me tweak it. Let me try this idea over here. Let me tweak it. Um, wow. A bunch of people posted that. I didn't even, that's the problem. We are the worst judges of our own ideas. Like Hmm. you're so close to the idea. You can't tell what it is. And so I need other people to say that like, my most successful, as far as like viral idea, was Jesus Juke, where which I wrote for stuff Christians like. That was a throwaway post in a week with ten other posts. I didn't think twice about that idea. It's like somebody sent me that phrase yesterday. So like nine years later or whatever it is, people are still using that in in vernacular. I didn't, you know, same with like John Bon Jovi didn't want Living on a Prayer on his album because he was like it's a cheesy song. You can yeah. go through. Everybody who's had a big hit, rarely do they go, I knew the second we did it, it was going to be massive. And then the public responded the exact, like, there's a reason 60 publishers rejected the help. They weren't 60 idiots. It's just hard to see what's going to be good sometimes.
0: Mm -hmm. Or the Queen's Gambit, another great example. Mm -hmm.
1: So you just have to kind of know that um, and be able to kind of roll with it.
0: So I, I got to say, we're going to morph to soundtracks because I think there's some great stuff there. But this sort of is a, a bridging question between creativity, content, the writing process and your new book. As a writer myself, this simple phrase made me just drop the book and in a good way, kind of like, oh, crap, he's such a good writer. And it's so simple. I could have pulled a many, many of them, but this one is so simple. I wasn't a tech pioneer because I didn't own enough hoodies, but I was way ahead of the curve. I just thought that was so clever. And and because because there was so much in there, right? Like, obviously, if you've been to Silicon Valley, you see all the guys wandering around in hoodies. It's like, ah, oh, okay. So you've got like a cultural idiom and a couple of people are going to get that joke. And, and it was kind of funny. And yet it wasn't your main point, but it came in there. Um, how do you end up with sentences like that? Because your books are full of them. I asked Seth Godin this question when he was on, because you guys, when you're when you're done, like when we're riffing like this, you're kind of all over the place, like just having a great convo. But like when you're delivering in a talk, when you're writing in a book, you're there's really no throwaway sentences. There's a lot of calories and a lot of puns per minute. And I wonder how you do that. How how are you
1: honing that? I mean, write a lot of bad sentences first. Like I mm. write a lot of you know. I kind of write in layers um, where I write, I, I just try to get the idea. The words are wrong. First layer idea. I just want to communicate the idea. Nobody's seeing that. Second layer, I'm like, okay, how do I make it more positive? My, my voice tends to like, my first draft is often melancholy. Like I have mm-hmm. like counting crows syndrome where it's <laughs> first draft, little little melancholy. I had some positivity in the second draft or third second layer. Third layer, I'm like, okay, Where does this help somebody? Like, cause my stuff is designed to help people. Like, I like I'm not writing a diary. I want people to go, that helped me. I would I use that on a Tuesday. And then the fourth layer is I go, okay, where's some humor? Like, where can I put some amplifying humor, not distracting humor? Distracting humor takes you away from the main point and it's not worth the cost. Amplifying humor takes the main point and adds a little bit of seasoning, adds a little bit of flavor to what you're doing. And so that's kind of the layers I use. And then Like, I try to make sure, like you said, that it's super concentrated, that every line earns its keep. Um, If I take a sidetrack, it's worth the sidetrack. You know, if I, you you know, that it's like, I kind of think about in a speech, like, I do this joke about Dr. Dre. So I tell this story Mm. about Bose. Um, You've heard me do it before, where like, we had a head start in headphones. We didn't listen to customers who wanted colors and designs, and Dr. Dre and Beats did, and they ate our lunch. And so then I tell a story, and then I say, kind of, you know, on almost under my breath, we broke the first rule of electronics. We forgot about Dre. And that's funny to 40% of the audience, the 60% of the rest of the audience, it didn't cost them anything. It was Mm. two seconds. So it didn't distract them so much that they're like, I didn't get it. And it's the juxtaposition of the two things. We broke the first rule of electronics. Oh, this is He's about to say something really serious. The first rule of electronics, we <laughs> forgot about Dre. Forgot about Dre as a rap lyric from Dr. Dre and Eminem. So the people that get it feel validated cuz like, oh, and then they're often in a corporate structure. They're not expecting a Dr. Dre and Eminem reference, so they're like, "What?" And so like <laughs> stuff like that, I love that that back and forth. And I love to serve the audience that way because again, it's not like that's a super obscure reference, but it's obscure enough that the people that get it love it and the people mm-hmm. that miss it aren't hurt they don't feel like you've talked down to them, you haven't left them out of something and so like that's kind of one of the tensions I'm always going back and forth on when it comes to how I structure a sentence, how I, you know, how I have a line, the tension I'm pulling, like that's what I'm thinking about.
0: It's uniquely your voice as as your books tend to be, but you listen to editors. I seem to remember, tell me if I got the facts wrong, but with Finish, didn't it go from 80,000 words down to 38,000 words or something? Very
1: explanation with very, <laughs> like, very little hand-holding. And the same with soundtracks. Like, yeah. I changed to a new publisher. I went from Penguin to Baker. And you're always nervous when you change publishers because editor yeah. relationships. And Brian Voss, who edited the book, was fantastic and challenged <laughs> me and pushed me. And so, yeah, I think you always... You know, you always listen to editors. You always see what they're like. And a lot of the time they're taking out stuff that you're like, yeah, I knew. Like I tried to slide it by them because I wanted to do it because it was fun to write. Like, but it's not the right thing and it doesn't. And so I, you know, I feel like the editors always make what I'm doing so much better.
0: Okay, how do you not let your ego get in the way? How do you not be like, you know, I'm John Acuff. I've got multiple New York Times bestsellers. You're telling me I need to cut this stuff. Like there there are a lot of people who who have not accomplished what you've accomplished, who would definitely pull that card and go, listen, I've been doing this for 15 years. Like, leave me alone.
1: Yeah, but I did that with the podcast. So like (laughs) I I said, my first podcast, I pulled the ego card. It went very poorly. Like the times I play the ego card, it sucks. Um, And I try Mm. to remember that. And then also like, you know, uh, Brian Koppelman said it, uh, Jerry Seinfeld said it, like, give it 24 hours. Like, especially Mm. something new you've created. Don't get feedback on it for the first 24 hours. Like, I can't let my wife read something new that I've written in the first 24 hours. Um, so a lot of times um, I'll I'll have to sit on the edits. Um, I'll have to decide, is it something worth fighting for? Like, are they not seeing something that I really believe in and I'm going to show them how much I care? Like a lot of times an editor will go along with you if if they know that you go, no, 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 no. Here are the five reasons I did that. I know this about my audience. And like, if you're putting in the work an editor goes, yeah, that's great. Like, I want you to put in the work. If you're being lazy on it and like I just like it because I'm John Acuff, then like it's not gonna go well. But yeah, I'll often have to sit on it. And then I mean, if I'm being honest, there's definitely moments where, depending on the person, I'm like, I can't believe that. I'm so frustrated. I'm so mad. Mm. Like, I'll go jog. Like, yeah, there's there's moments when I get really, really mad over stuff I really, really care about. And the hope is that. Like the day later, I'll go, you know what? They want the same thing I want. Like they didn't send that to me as a personal attack. They didn't send that to me to say, remember, you're dumb. Like, remember, like nobody likes your ideas. Your face is stupid. Like they sent it because they want to sell the most books possible and help the most amount of people possible. And Mm. so, like, in soundtracks, I said that. Like, I said, How often we don't choose the thoughts we want to have? And so, like, there's somebody. Every listener right now has somebody that the second they text message them, they get furious. They don't even have to hmm. read the message. It's just enough. <laughs> yeah. The, the meeting they have, and so I will physically write down they're on your side. They want to make hmm. money too. They have it. like. I'll write those down so that those thoughts, not my negative ones. Like you never have to go look for negative thoughts. They find you. You have to look for hope thoughts. You have to look for true thoughts, and so. I'll do that. I've had multiple meetings with a handful of people that are frustrating to me just because of our personalities or tension, whatever. And before the meeting, I'll write down on a post-it note because a lot of them are Zoom meetings. I can see it while we're talking. They want the same thing you want. This isn't an attack. They want to give you money. Like I'll write <laughs> these things down. You go, well, that's silly. Like, yeah, I agree. I wish I didn't have to do that. But I do because my brain is like, let's see this personally. Let's get furious about this and like, let's bite our nose off to spite our face or whatever it is. Like, let's do that right here and blow this whole thing up. And I'm like, no, that sounds terrible. Why would we do that? And they're like, my brain's like, because something bad happened 10 years ago that reminds you of this. And it's a completely different person, but let's do it again. I'm like, no, 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 no. So like, there's all these little tricks I use.
0: So what's a soundtrack? Um, it's Overthinking. It's a book uh, all about, what's a soundtrack? The, uh, the subtitle, Surprising Solution to Overthinking. And again, brilliant cover. Love it.
1: Oh uh, thanks. Yeah, I was I was so happy with that. Um a soundtrack is a repetitive thought, a thought you get mm. stuck on a loop. I define overthinking as when what you want when what you think it's in the way of what you want. Mm. Um and it always, you know, it always leads to inaction. Um and I say, you know, overthinking is not a personality trait. It's the most uh, expensive fear in the world because it steals time, creativity and productivity. Um, and it's what mo- companies invest in this more than any other thing without even knowing they're doing it. So that's what overthinking is, is when you get on a loop and a soundtrack is, is one of your kind of repetitive overthinking thoughts where you have so, a personal soundtrack you hear in certain situations.
0: So what would a soundtrack for you be? Give us a couple of soundtracks that play in your head unless you check them.
1: Yeah, um, they're trying to take advantage of you. So mm. there's, you know, if I've been hurt in business relationships where somebody did take advantage of me, that's fine to admit, to process, to deal with, but it's not helpful if I then go, everyone is trying to take advantage of me. I have to protect what I'm doing. And then I bring that into a new negotiation where the person, like, I don't even have any information yet. And I'm already from a place of, they're trying to attack. Remember, they're out to get you. So that would be a negative soundtrack. And so the book talks about you have to retire your broken soundtracks, replace them with new ones, and then repeat them so often they become as automatic as the old ones. So that was where again I'd write down they're trying to give you money. Like it's kind of like whenever I go to a restaurant and they seem mad that I'm there. Like whenever I have really bad service from a waiter, I I just want to say, I just want to tip you. Like I'm not like (laughs) the only reason I'm here is to like buy your food and hopefully give you like a great tip. Like this isn't a fight. Like you put these things on the menu. I just want to choose them and then pay you money. Like but they're bringing some negative soundtrack into the situation. And so that would be one for me. Um, they're trying to take advantage of you. Um, you're all out of ideas. Every time I sit down mm. and write a book, you know, oh, you're all out of ideas. All like my walls are covered with them. I have notebooks full of them, but this is the moment where everyone already knows that thing you're interested in. Everyone like they already, like, I mean, you and I have talked about that. You had a conversation with a huge publisher that said, Carrie, this idea is I've never heard of this. And, And you had the same reaction. We I'm like, really? Like I thought. I know,
0: I know. I'm like, how could you never have heard of that? And you think you're late to the party, right?
1: Yeah. So like those would be, you know, I mean, but again, another soundtrack we already talked about would be, it's too late to have a podcast. It's too late to learn YouTube. It's too late to write a book. It's you're not qualified for that. Another one would be, I don't get to be an entrepreneur because my dad wasn't an entrepreneur. Right. Like that's a common one people, like, especially men, they're like, My dad never taught me how to change the oil or like do, you know, I didn't have a, like you see these entrepreneurs that are like, when I was, when I was a fetus, I had a like side hustle and I've already, I've I've sold 52 businesses. And you're like, well, I can't do that. So I must not be able to be an entrepreneur. And that's a broken soundtrack. So when you start to kind of go through the book, you'll start to go, oh, I have those. Like I do that. What do I want to do instead? Because your thoughts, you know, impact your actions, which impacts your results.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting because you hit uh, what you self describe as a career um, block in 2017 when Finish came out, and I want to you spend a chapter talking about that moment. I'd love to do that because I think a lot of people feel like, listen, John, I had a good thing going, okay, and then 2020 hit and it kind of blew up my business. It it, it I don't know, if church will ever be the same. I'm not great at this whole online thing. I, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not 17. I I didn't go to Stanford like help me out here. So you ran into that just four years ago when Finish came out. What happened? How'd you talk yourself out of it?
1: Well, I mean, I just got into, there's certain things that the longer I spend time away from them, the scarier they become. And writing Mm. is one of them. I'd love to say that I'm one of these writers that's like, I run through a field with a ribbon and it comes naturally. Like it doesn't. When I add a couple of fear days on top of each other, it gets easier and easier and easier to avoid it. And people Mm. feel that way about a lot of things. The gym, like it's intimidating to go back to the gym or it's intimidating to, you know, try technology. Like maybe you've spent a year away from the current technology and every day you spend away feels more intimidating. And so like, I just felt like I got to a place where I wasn't actively writing. I didn't know what I wanted to write next. I was afraid to do the early stages of a book, which are always kind of awkward, which are always kind of figuring out what you want to do, which are always moving, you know, shapes about and outlines about. And so, and that just kind of built on itself. Um, And that's my job. It's not like I have, I'm not like, I'm not a pastor where I write a book on the side. Like this is the thing. I do two
0: things. (laughs) You're an author. This is what you do.
1: And so like I had to jump back into it. So I did a couple of things. One thing I did was I did a comedy show. So Mm. I did a two night comedy gig where I wrote a 60 minute set. And that kind of creatively helped kick my butt a little bit. Um, and then I wrote a whole book about, about these funny ideas I had just to get back into the muscle of writing. Um, and so sometimes if you're stuck in an area, doing something on the side of that area can reintroduce you to the area. So I don't think anybody will ever read this 50,000 word.
0: Yeah. You never, you never published that. I I think I read a chapter or two. It was actually good. It was fun. But why, why did you write it?
1: I wrote it because I need to get back into the habit of writing. Like uh, it's the same way that like, say you are really consistent runner and then you took a year off. You shouldn't start with a marathon. <laughs> you should give yourself the gift of walking around the neighborhood briskly. Um, and so like that, I think, I think self-kindness is a superpower. And so mm-hmm. for me, the ridiculousness of sitting down to write, like I read a whole essay about the optimism of subscribing to the New Yorker. Like I've never, I subscribed to the New Yorker and it was overwhelming. Like they send you like 100,000 words every week. Like you can't, like you would have to take a day off of work every week to catch up on the New Yorker. I had never purchased a single issue. And I was like, I need 52 of those delivered to my house and like a wave of content. So I wrote a silly essay about that. But again, it was easing back into it. And I'm doing all my other jobs at the time. Like I don't have a life where I can go like, I'm just going to find myself. Like I was still speaking. I was still doing consulting. I was still doing all these things, but I would sneak away to the coffee house And try to write to get back into the rhythm of it, so I could ease back into it. Versus, like, I've got to start everything tomorrow. That's just not how my life works.
0: Mm. You and Seth Godin both give a lot of credit to Zig Ziglar. Uh, You got a chapter on him. Um, Talk about Zig, and uh, he just died like a few years ago, didn't he? He was he was around until recently.
1: And his uh, wife and his son Tom before he passed away. And he was just he was just a fountain of information. Like he was. you know, giving me tips at lunch about travel and communication. And so for me, and and that was what was interesting. I kept bumping into people I really liked and I really respected who used Zig's affirmations, like the mm-hmm. idea of reprogramming the way you think, like, because it's a muscle, like thinking's a muscle. Um, and so hearing Seth talk about that, another friend of mine named Tim Graw talked about that. And so I really was like, okay, I want to explore um, what Zig does. And then I got to interview his son, Tom. That's probably one of my favorite parts of the book um, because I kept trying to kind of break down Tom from the positivity standpoint. Like Tom is a big believer in like intentional positivity. Like Seth Hmm. is a big believer in that. Zig was a big believer in that. So I kept looking for kind of loopholes. Like, cause I tend to be kind of sarcastic and negative. And I was like, but what about, but what about, And Tom was like, yeah, no, here's, here's what you think about. Here's what you like, like for instance, Tom Ziegler said like that his dad wasn't, he wasn't like, um, against admitting there's a problem. He wasn't like a Pollyanna. He was like, no, admit there's a problem so you can fix it. If you pretend Hmm. there's not, you don't get to fix it. Like, but focus on the solution, not the problem. And so like a lot of people, when they admit there's a problem, they stay on the problem. They don't work on the solution. So he was like, So I was like, okay, well, give me another example. And one of his examples was when my dad would get delayed at an airport. Like if you fly more than twice a year, you're getting delayed. Like that's happening. That's just math. It never hurt him because he always carried his most important work with him. So a delayed Mm -hmm. flight was an invitation to do the thing that mattered most to him. And like, that's a subtle shift, but that's him going, I'm not going to let a delayed flight ruin my day. We have this culture where we're like, I I woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Like or traffic was terrible, my whole day is mm-hmm. ruined. Or I saw a tweet I disagreed with, my whole day is ruined. Forget that. Like, stop giving all those negative thoughts the power to control your day. Zig would say, No, I'm like, I know I'm gonna have a delayed flight because that's what happens. Sometimes it happens so that I'm safe and they they want to de-ice the plane, whatever, but I'm gonna have my most important work with me. And when it gets delayed, boom, I'm gonna go work on that and I'm gonna knock that out. And I'm gonna feel great about it. So I just really appreciated Zig's deliberate approach. It wasn't fake, it wasn't syrupy, it was action-based. I I am lumped into the kind of motivational space and I really get frustrated by motivational people that don't give you real advice with real steps and real actions. Like it's one of my pet peeves. Um, And so I love to simplify things. I love it to be actionable. That's why I like soundtracks is I took, I felt like I got to take this complicated topic of thinking and really boil it down and test it and try it and then give practical actions.
0: One of the things for those of us who travel a lot or used to travel a lot, um, it is easy to come.
1: I used to <laughs> Remember travel. Yeah. Suitcases and stuff is crazy.
0: Oh dude, I'll tell you. And I was flying about 150,000 miles the last couple of years before COVID. And one of the things, cause we have spent a lot of time together on the road is we'd be at an event and I'd be like, Oh, my flight's delayed or whatever. And you like, was it intentional that you don't complain about travel? It's like, dude, no, we get to do this. And I'm sure you've cracked once in a while and complained about it, but like, you've had a very positive attitude in my experience to travel to like, no, I get to do this. Was that a soundtrack thing yeah, that you developed early on? For
1: those. One of mine was I deliberately, um, like if, if I make my flight, I got to go home and that's a huge win. And I'm deliberate mm. about that. Like, if i jumped on an early flight that's a huge win and i got to go home so i try to look at it that way and go okay like i got to do this and then a lot of it and i i put this in the book the a lot of it was perceived anger or shame or frustration from my family that they weren't giving me i was adding that like we as people with our soundtracks will add things to situations that aren't really there so i was adding the soundtrack my wife is furious that i travel she's so mad mm. and eventually one day she said I'm not like, go do your job. Like, I love that you're good at that. I love that you're great at that. Like, go do your job. And then the second part with the kids was she was like, with mirror neurons, your kids will reflect back what you put out. So I was making a huge deal about travel. Like, one of the biggest things I do is like, I'm so sorry. I have to go travel. I'll be home in two sleeps. Like, I'll call you every minute. And your kids don't even know to be sad. Like, they Mm. don't know, like, oh, this is a terrible thing. Like, they just go like, oh, you're going to work. But like Jenny said, you're giving them your shame and your guilt and your sadness, and they'll reflect that. Don't do that. Just go do your job and let's see it as a positive thing. And what's interesting, we spent 18 years telling our kids that work sucks. And then we're surprised that in their 20s, they don't want to do a job. And we're like, of course they don't. Like so now, So I had to deliberately change travel into, I can't believe I get to do this because it's awesome. And I will like, I found a job I love so much that every delayed flight doesn't even, doesn't even hit me because I'm getting it like the hour on stage worth every delayed flight. Like it's amazing. And so now it becomes a filter for, am I doing the right thing? Like if I'm willing to put up with like 10 things that a lot of people feel frustrated about and I'm still excited, I've bumped into something that's soul connected. Like I, okay, cool. Like I'm, I'm dragging, you know, if I, if I'm willing to stay at like the La Quinta in the Baltimore airport because the flight got canceled and I'm still like, you know what? Pretty good day. Then all right, I'm onto something.
0: <laughs> How do you write a new anthem? I think you call it a new anthem in the book. So you got this bad soundtrack. It's this stuck record, this broken record playing in your head. How do you create a new anthem? What do you do?
1: easiest way, the simplest way to do it is to flip the old one. So Mm -hmm. if you say, you know, people are trying to take advantage of me. People are trying to help me. Like people are trying to help me and I'm going to find ways to see that. I'm going to look for that. So they eat, you know, like don't go to a blank piece of paper and go, okay, I have to come up with like some amazing thoughts that I think that like, oh, that's super intimidating. I think you can get there, but entry level is you take something that's broken and you flip it and you go, what's the opposite of this? Okay. If I, you know if travel is negative travel is positive and i'm going to find proof of that i'm going to look for proof of that i'm going to look for good things again like you have to actively collect those things um and you have to be deliberate about that um because we're so like that was one of the things in the book in the english language we don't have a word for the opposite of trauma like that's how powerful trauma is we physically don't have a word oh, wow. for the opposite
0: oh wow yeah that's what true i
1: mean by that and scientists have studied it there's not a word to describe like when you're in a grocery store and trauma comes up from four years ago, there's not a positive version of that that happens. Your brain <laughs> just doesn't work that way. Where you are in the grocery store and you get this overwhelming, like, oh man, four years ago, this thing happened and it carries your day. Trauma, on the other hand, does that all the time. And so you have to go, okay, knowing that I'm going to actively find that. So the easiest way is, I think about it like a coin, like you flip a coin. One side says, people are trying to take advantage of me. I'm too old to do this, it's too late. <laughs> like and i'd write i'd write down there's still time there's still time because and you're not you might not believe it at first but you're going to repeat it enough until you do i mean like right now i've got on this one note that says light and easy cuz i wanted this new book to be light and easy the writing mm. process the like i just wrote it again cuz the note got uh, fell down um i want the marketing to be light and easy like it's going to be light and easy so i'm working on that and i'm working to be deliberate about that and i'm going to hustle really hard but like um, I'm, like, i like, I, here's another one. Like I've got, it says, uh, the note says specific is sexy because I know that if I'm specific in my writing, it's so much better writing when mm. I say something, it's not good. When I say, you know, in Albuquerque at two, two in the morning, this happened. Or when I say, you know, I don't wear enough hoodies. Like I didn't say, cause I'm not cool enough. I didn't say right. I'm not a, I wasn't a, you know, a tech pioneer because I'm not cool enough. That's not sexy. That's not specific. Specific is hoodie. Cause it triggers. Oh yeah. Mark Zuckerberg is always wearing hoodies. Like that's a specific. Yeah. I was
0: back. I was back at Stanford, like literally driving down the road at Stanford, watching all these engineering students in hoodies going, you took me there with that image. That's why I dropped the book. I'm yeah, like, that's so that genius.
1: Me, like that for me is how you do it. So you write it, like you flip them. You collect them. You write it down. You borrow them. You're gonna hear yeah. great ones from other people that say, you know, like Colleen Barry, um, the woman I interviewed for my podcast. She was like, everybody has a different alignment in their car, and sometimes you have to steer harder to the right for your car. So she, mm. so she, and I was like, oh, you're right. Like, there's days where like this day just sucks, and I gotta steer harder to the right. Like some days I only have to do two of the stress relief things. Some days I gotta do the whole ten because it's been a garbage day. That's okay, I'm going to steer right. So I might put steer right on a Post-it note because I want to see it again. I want to be reminded of it again. When everything kind of gets lost, I want to be very deliberate about that and go, okay, that's right, that's right. I remember that, that calls back to this. Like, all right, we're cool.
0: The reframing is really powerful. It's funny because I've heard you say that, like people want to give me money, which which sounds on the one hand, you kind of look at that and go, what, what are you talking about? But I actually use that today in a staff meeting. We're getting ready to launch a course to thousands of leaders and my staff is like, okay, we want to make sure we overdeliver. We want to make sure. And everybody has this like silent guilt about that. And I actually, you say that Brad Lominick says that. And I'm like, no, no, no. And not everybody's going to buy the course. That's fine. But there are some people going, I need some help and I'm willing to invest in it. And
1: totally dude, here's another one you can use your team. Yeah. So don't say the number, obviously take the number of how many people bought your last course. Right. That's the number of people you're creating for. The problem is when teams start stuff, they go, We got to do something that reaches a million people. They never say that out loud, but that's the expectation. Uh Screw that. You got to find 10,000 people of all the humans. Like, dude, like that's fantastic. Like, of 7 billion, you only have to find 10,000 of them and you have to create and serve them. Awesome. That takes the pressure in a completely different way. Same with Mm. writing a book. If you sit down to write a book and you go, Okay, I got to. Like I gotta sell two million copies. Of this. forget it, dude. If you sit down and go, I gotta find ten thousand people that are going to be engaged. It mm. changes it. Like, and those ten thousand people are going to be really excited. Like, and so mm-hmm. that's the like. It's little things like that. That again, like, I don't mean you know people are trying to give me money. I know it can sound like some sort of like weird message, but for me, it reframes my thinking that the reason they're w- we're in this conversation is that they're interested. Listen, I tried to raise money for 20 years
0: in the church, right? For a cause I believed in. And I just assumed nobody wanted to give. And then that reframing makes it, yeah, there's going to be people who don't give. But there are people who want to live a generous lifestyle, who believe in the mission, who actually want to make a contribution. So please invite me to give. And don't coerce the people who don't. You know, as Seth Godin says, we quoted them a lot. They don't get the joke. They This isn't for them. But there are people for whom this is.
1: But think about this. Like, do you understand how different your actions would be if you approach it from people are trying to give me money versus I have to go take people's money? Like, do you know the shame and the guilt? And like, I got to go get their money for like, man, you do different things. Where if you say people are trying to give me money, you go, I got to make it as easy as possible for them. I got to make it as clear Mm. as possible for them. I got to make sure that I super serve their real needs, not mine. Like I'm Carrie mm-hmm. Newhoff in a basement with a successful podcast. I got to be in the trenches so that I know. Oh, we were going to do this module on this, but man, we really heard this need for this. We need to make mm-hmm. sure we serve that need because it's been ten years since I've had that need personally. But that person's still in that space. I really need to help them with that. What do I do to do that? It changes how you approach what you're creating. Yeah, versus I got to go take it.
0: And then the people who don't buy in, that's great. We got lots of other stuff for you. You don't ever have to give me a dollar. That's fine. Like it's, it's a hundred percent. That's, I don't have to be mad at you. You don't have to be mad at me. That's okay.
1: That's not, not that's not a hater. That's not like, no. you know, that's not a hater. That's somebody that chose something different. And that's, that's great. That's not, you know, that's where you have to, it has to be like, it has to be a product, not your personality. Like, yeah. if you,
0: and dude, if you, this conversation was free.
1: Yeah, Exactly. Exactly. <laughs>
0: So we got lots there. Oh, this is good. Um, what's one thing about overthinking that many people miss? Um, other than the government does not make you eat your steak well done in Canada. That's the only inaccuracy in the book, John. I,
1: I was told to in Canada by the waitress that we couldn't eat our steak. We had to order it well done. So you need that to is the we- with, with whoever's in uh, Whistler. You
0: were in Vancouver, right? Were you at Whistler?
1: Yeah, we are at Whistler. Yeah.
0: Well listen, you come to my backyard, I'll cook it medium rare however you want. I've,
1: i love that. I would love
0: I've that. never heard that. I've never heard that. But that's okay. Uh, we're still friends. We're it. still people
1: friends. People got from Canada were really mad and were like, "Well, that's just because we have better food standards than your terrible country." And I was like, I have
0: I've lived here my whole life. I've never heard that.
1: Isn't that weird? Yeah. So okay. what the people overlook about overthinking that they can do something about it. Like it's mm. it's not something that is it's not set in stone. And you can actually use it for you. Like you can turn, I can't write a book into, I should write a book. I should definitely write a book. I'm the best person to write this book. And that feels impossible maybe at first, but it's a hundred percent doable. So like the story I tell my own life in there is 2008. I get an email from a, a conference planner. That's like, will you come speak at our conference? And I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, I think I could do that. I had no proof of that. I'd never been paid to speak. I'd never done a speech before. Like I had no tangible evidence. All I had was a single thought that was like, I think I can do this. And that I kept building on, I kept repeating, I kept growing. And so, yeah, I, that's the biggest thing. That's what gets me excited is like, when you change the way you think about yourself, about your relationships, about your world, you do get to change your actions and it does get to change your results. And that's what I would say. I think most people think a thought is something they have, not something they hone. They wait for a thought to show up versus going, no, these are the thoughts I'm going to have. Here's how I'm going to hone them and change them and be excited about them. And I'm going to pull this slingshot back and kind of launch with this versus, well, I woke up on the wrong side of the bed or, whoa, I had these five thoughts and I'm, I'm a prisoner to the five thoughts versus going like, nah, these are the 10 that are going to, this is my soundtrack. This is my playlist. And it's a playlist I want to hear. And when I hear a song that I don't want to hear, I'm going to recognize it. I'm going to retire it. I'm going to replace it with something new.
0: Well, you know, and I think this is this is a really good thing to be focusing on this year. It has been a whole heap of negative. We were already heading there before the disruption, the crisis, and I think a lot of us are stuck on our heads. And what's interesting, you know, Grochelle, speaking of him, and we're all working out now. Uh, he was on this show at the beginning of the year or in February, I think, talking about over what he would call overthinking winning the war in your mind. Read his book. Completely different take than your book. Both really helpful, both extremely Good, so soundtracks is available anywhere books are sold. You read the audiobook as well, which is always my favorite. Yeah, Truth, I
1: added a bunch of bonus stories. So, awesome. I like there's a bonus chapter, there's six different bonus stories that I, you know, I went through and actually wrote out versus just riffs, like really fun bonus content. I, I yeah, I love reading audiobooks. I think it's for the books I write, it'd be weird if I got some British dude that was like reading the books because <laughs> I'm talking about my per like a lot of them are in the trench, like mistakes I'm making. Um, it'd be God. weird.
0: My favorite is authors who read their own books by far, and your stuff. I mean, laugh out loud! Like, th- th- it's a lot of fun. Um, tell us about where people can find you these days. All the channels, but we're, yeah, there's
1: a lot of them. I mean, my podcast is all. Uh, the name of it is um, "All It Takes Is a Goal." If you look up John Acuff or "All It Takes Is a Goal," it's everywhere. Podcasts um, are available. The um, Instagram is just John Acuff, J O N A C U F F. Same with Twitter. Um, YouTube, I'm Author John Acuff um, and Facebook, Author John Acuff. And then my website's acuff.me. So a lot of a lot of different places and soundtracks, um, super excited about. It's going to be super fun. So would love people to, you know, if you thought to yourself, I overthink or the thing that I keep bumping into is people that'll go, oh, my husband needs this book or my friend needs this book mm-hmm. or my team needs this book. We're going to lead our company through it. I've never had a topic that so many people have said, oh yeah, 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 identify with the idea of overthinking. So I'm excited about it.
0: I can't wait to see this get into people's hands. And for those of you who do what John and I do, one of the reasons, and I'm going to embarrass you for a second, one of the reasons I love our friendship, but one of the reasons I love reading what you write and watching your videos and uh, following your craft is you work so hard at it. And I have so much respect for that. And if you just want to become a better communicator, if you want to become a better author, honestly,
1: just buy the book.
0: It's so well done. So well done. John. Okay, I really appreciate that. Thanks for gifting the world. Thanks for gifting us. This has been a lot of fun. It always is.
1: And I'll have you on mine at some point when I'm ready. Oh, that'd be a lot of fun.
0: I wasn't going to ask. Cause you know, when people do that, it gets, uh, no, but I definitely gets awkward, on, right? right?
1: It'd be fun to be on the other side of it. And it was fun to be on the other side with you and Tony. Um, I was honored that we got to do that conversation. So, Wow, um, we really
0: uh, we really fun. wanted you to lead us in that. And uh, we're so grateful for you. Thanks, John.
1: Thanks, Kerry.
0: Well, it's always so good to hang out with Thank John. You. Hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. And we got show notes for you. You can go to kerrynewhoff.com forward slash episode 408 to get those, including transcripts. In just a second, I got a What I'm Thinking About segment. And John wrote a book on overthinking. So I thought I'd give you my take. How do you know when you can trust your gut and when you can't, just a few thoughts on that coming up. But first, today's episode is brought to you by Belay Solutions. Make sure you get their free guide, their productivity guide, on how to measure productivity five essential strategies to unleash your productivity. Go to belaysolutions.com forward slash CNLP and go to servehq.church to sign up for your free 14 day trial. Use the code carry for ServeHQ, and you can get 10% off for life. That's C-A-R-E-Y at servehq.church. Next episode, Rick Warren is coming up, and we have a long conversation about all kinds of things, including politics, including whether churches are being persecuted in this pandemic because they can't open, including, well, some really personal stuff as well. Here's an excerpt. Uh, It's our job as church leaders to work on the dis-ease the the stress that's being caused by all these changes in society, rapid changes, and all these storms. We're, we're to work on the dis East. And I'm telling you guys, you can write this down and take it to the bank. This next year, and even after that, there's going to be a tsunami of grief. Very grateful to be able to bring you Rick Warren next time around. Also, coming up, subscribers, you know this, we've got Alan George from Life Church. Tim Keller is coming back to the podcast. Francis Chan, Annie F. Downs, Simon Sinek. Uh, Who else have we got? Mark Clark's going to make a return appearance. We also have Gordon McDonald. Very excited for that. Allison Fallon and many others. So uh, if you subscribe, you get it for free wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, I just love being able to do this with you week after week after week. Well, now it's time for what I'm thinking about. So, uh, you know, if you heard, uh, I think we kicked off 2021 with this episode, but Andy Stanley talking about how he trusts Enneagram 8s because they have good gut instinct. Yeah, so I'm an 8 with a wing 7, and uh, I've got a pretty strong gut instinct. Now, it's not always right, okay, but I'm probably, my natural inclination is to actually not overthink things, but to just go with my gut. Now, what I realized as a young leader as I think Andy and I talked about is sometimes that gets you into trouble. It's like your gut isn't always right. So I've had to learn to think about things a little bit longer without getting to the other side of the equation, which is, oh, now I'm overthinking. So here's a question: you know, how do you know whether you can trust your gut or not? So ask yourself this question: Has your intuition, has your gut been reliable in the past? Because sometimes it's your gut that gets you into trouble. It's like this person's a right hire, and like, nope, they're not. Or Uh, you know, I should really not do that. And then you realize, oh, I wish I had done that. We'd be so much further ahead. Okay, so take a look at your track record and go, am I pretty good at judging this? Or am I kind of missing stuff a lot of the time? Because that'll tell you whether your gut has a good track record. Then the second question you can ask is, is my gut reaction consistent or inconsistent with scripture? I just need to ask that because my impulses aren't always good, right? It's like, well, actually, no, there's something pretty clear about that. So you want to definitely, you know, if you're a person of faith like I am, pay attention to that. And then number three, and this is for those of us who tend to underthink, not overthink, what are the implications of my actions? Like play it out in your mind. Where do the dominoes fall? Um, You know, three months from now, what's going to happen? Six months from now, what's going to happen? Oh, if I do this, then this also happens. So, um, you know, I don't want to get into the analysis of paralysis. I don't want to get into overthinking. But then if I don't think, then I'm like, uh uh-oh, okay, I can see where this is going. And you got to at least pause and think about that before you just jump on a whim. And then I love this question. We'll end it here, okay? Uh, No, no, I got one more thing after this too. Okay, ask yourself, five years from now, what will I wish I had done? That question has saved me so much heartache. Okay, five years from now, what will I wish I had done? And sometimes that leads in different things. Sometimes it's going to be like, okay, I wish I had done it. Sometimes it's like, I wish I hadn't. And you'll know instantly. I mean, my wife and I, we've been in the same house for years and years and years. We wondered about moving. But the real estate market is insane right now where I live. And you know what? We thought about it. We looked at some properties. And then we said, nope, we're just going to stay here. And I'm really content with that. Because five years from now, there's no downside. I didn't have to leave a community, you know. And, and we have tons of equity in this house and, you know, it's a modest house, but like, Hey, that's great. We're just going to stay here. Not going to get involved in the crazy. We're not leveraged five years from now. That's a good decision. And if the market stabilizes or turns around and we want to move in the future, well, we can move in the future. And if not, we lost nothing by staying here. So five years from now, what will I wish I had done? Very, very clarifying. Sometimes on the personal level, that can be like, you know, I'm going to wish I had apologized. I'm going to wish I had owned it. I'm going to wish I had left. I'm going to wish I had stayed. But you kind of know that when you ask yourself the question. The final thing is, what are other people telling you? Uh, Always, always, and the older I get, the more I pay attention to this is just get some wise people around you and ask them, hey, what do you think? And that's what we did. Like when we were thinking about moving, Uh, because there's a couple of things. We wish we had a little more room. We wish we had a little more of this, a little more of that. It's like, you know, I just called up uh, somebody that I have trusted for years and years and years to help me make decisions, called up a few of them. And they're like, well, you want to think about this and you want to think about that. And I'm like, oh yeah, we'll just stay put for now. So, you know, wisdom is often disguised as other people. And if they are godly people who make great decisions with their lives, who, who have your best interest in mind, pay attention to what they're saying. I mean, once in a while, you're going to be the, I'm the Lone Ranger. Here I am making my decision all by myself. And For the most part though that's that's how you end up in the ditch so hope that is helpful uh what are other people saying uh wise people ask yourself five years from now what will you wish you had done what are the implications of your actions is your gut reaction consistent or inconsistent with scripture and has your intuition been reliable in the past so That leads those of us who uh, perhaps don't overthink enough to think a little bit more. And if you're an overthinker, well, maybe trust your gut a little bit more. Hope that helps. Uh, Do pick up a copy of John's book. It's fantastic. I've read it. It's, uh, well, it's classic A-cuff. Okay, Uh, see you next time for a fresh episode. And I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast.